Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Back to Ashes, now its own channel, and as well, happy 2023. Tonight's stories solely focuses on Backwoods Creepy. The last two stories of this video will be paranormal encounters. Lay back, tuck in, get warm. Let's get started, shall we? Just today, my friend and I were hiking on some abandoned and unused land. It's really beautiful, with lakes, cliffs, and tons of trees. The hike was going really well, but close to dark, it turned around. My friend whispered to me that they had been thinking of skinwalkers and couldn't stop. This got me thinking of the same, and we decided to head back to the car to eliminate any risk. A few minutes into the hike back, we both got horrible feelings, and it became apparent that we were not alone. We kept making our way back to the car as fast as we could, but it kept getting worse. Both of us experienced blurred vision, and the air suddenly got thick and a hum to it. It also became incredibly hard to move, and we both experienced an intense urge to lay down and stop hiking. We came across an area we hadn't yet hiked through, but was adjacent to there we were, and there were so many deer prints in every direction, as if a deer had been rapidly pacing there in human footprints on the other side of that scramble. There wasn't a clear starting point to the footprints and no evidence of other hikers for miles. The trek back to the car seemed to take five minutes and three hours simultaneously, so we have no clue how long it took. Neither of us have felt this sense of dread or, or been this disoriented before. Do you think we had a close encounter with a skinwalker, or was it something else entirely? I do not have the background knowledge to say what exactly it could be. We are in Eastern... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Kansas, if that helps. Backpacking and camping with my family of four near a river in remote canyon in a very wild area last summer was quite blissful until waking up around 2 a.m. to a very distressing sound. We were sleeping in our hammocks very close to the river and about 40 feet behind us was a tall canyon wall. The sound made me think of an injured animal that sounded very close to cat-like. It was something from behind us towards the wall of the canyon. It was regular, occurring like clockwork every 15 to 20 seconds. We shined flashlights and spoke very loudly in hopes of frightening it away from us. There was no moon out, and we could see very little, but shining our flashlights around revealed nothing as well. It sounded so very close. Our efforts did not work at all, and it seemed relentless and unfazed by us in every way. I worried it was rabid or hurt. At one point, 
I heard it near the river on the other side of us and was incredibly confused as to how it was able to move around without us hearing it. I sat on the edge of my hammock until dawn with my knife in hand, waiting for a wild or sick animal to come out of the bushes at any moment and I have to fight for our lives. Finally, around dawn, the sounds got less frequent and eventually stopped. After hiking out, we googled many different animal sounds, and the closest we could find to what we were hearing was a mountain lion mating call. Definitely lions in that area, so I believe that's what we heard. Still confused as to why it stayed so very close to us and was not scared away as most animals would have been. We have seen black bears in this area many times, and they have always ran the other way upon seeing humans and cats are even more elusive. What we ran into or heard that night, I have no idea, but I know one thing is for certain. We won't be camping there anymore. This story is unfortunately true. I grew up in the Sierra Nevadas. I wasn't big on camping, but spent a good chunk of my childhood weekends hiking with family and friends. The summer that I was 16, about 10 years ago now, my cousin C had come back from her first year of college, and her boyfriend, Jay, was visiting. Jay wanted to go on a hike with lake views, and C and I knew just the one. It was one of our favorites. The three of us set off on this hike. The trail isn't the easiest to find, but it's really popular with locals because of the view and general lack of tourists. We saw a couple of other hikers, some with dogs. It is an in-and-out trail that takes about two to three hours to the top, two to three hours back down. There are some smaller trails that branch off. We make it to the top in good time and enjoy our lunches overlooking the lake. After about an hour, we hear a scream in the distance, specifically a mountain lion scream. If you've never heard a mountain lion scream, it's really unnerving. It sounds a bit like a very loud, terrified woman screaming. This is not good, because when a mountain lion screams, it's part of a mating ritual. That means there are multiple mountain lions, and close. The bears in the Sierras are softies, but the mountain lions will attack you. They'll attack your pets. They've even been known to attack bikers. Jay was really freaked out. C and I were wary, but it wasn't the first time we had heard mountain lions. We had both seen them before. There was also an incident where, as kids... We laid out some expensive steak in my backyard in the hopes of luring a mountain lion to take pictures of it. It did not work and my mother was unhappy about the steaks. C and I tell Jay that we need to pack it up and get back down the mountain. About 40 minutes into the hike back, Jay realized that he forgot his phone at the lookout in a rush to leave, of course. We decided that C and Jay would hike back up to retrieve his phone and I would stay there on the trail to warn any other potential hikers that there are lions in the area. This is obviously not ideal for any of us, but seemed like the best choice at the time. 
I found a nice rock to sit on by the trail and was going through the pictures we took. C and J had been gone for about 15 minutes when I heard the scream again, and it's hard to tell, but I think it's closer than before. I start to freak out because being alone is not good if the lion is nearby. About 20 minutes after that, I hear the scream again, and there is now zero doubt that it's closer. Logically, I know the lions don't scream when hunting. They are quiet. If a lion was hunting me, I wouldn't know it. That knowledge did not make me less scared. A couple minutes after that, I hear it again, extremely close by. I'm looking around and trying to find the best place for me to stand, back covered, in case of the worst. Suddenly, I see something out of the corner of my eye. Standing still, 20 feet down the trail, a couple of feet off of it, is a man. He's completely naked. He's filthy, he's skinny, and he's just standing there looking at me. If you don't know where you're going, it's easy to get lost in the woods around there, and it doesn't take long being alone, lacking food and water, in the wilderness, to make people a little disoriented, a little crazy. My immediate response is that this man is probably a lost hiker, and judging by how dirty he was, he'd been lost a long time. He needs help. I started walking towards him, asking if he's okay. I suddenly get this feeling of wrongness. I don't know how else to describe it, but the hair stood up on my neck. I stopped at my tracks, maybe 15 feet away now, and had the overwhelming urge to run. It seemed wrong. He looked wrong in a way I can't quite articulate. Instead of wanting to help, I'm now scared. I ask again if he's okay. He looks at me, then opens his mouth wide and screams. Not a normal scream. He screamed so loudly. Worse, it sounded just like the mountain lion. It occurred to me that we were probably hearing him the whole time. It was the single most terrifying thing I had ever witnessed. I started screaming too. Why was he just standing there screaming? Do I run? Do I get out the bear mace? Suddenly, he closed his mouth, turned around, and ran into the woods very quickly. He disappeared into the trees, but the feeling of wrongness was still with me. I considered bolting down the trail, but decided to wait for C&J who luckily arrived within 10 or 15 minutes. I told them what happened and we decided to call it in to the rangers when we got service. I've always been left with an unsettling question. Did I see a mentally ill lost hiker who really needed my help? Or did I see something else? Something not human, mimicking the call of a mountain lion and stalking us down the mountain. I'm not really sure if this would be considered a paranormal story per se, but nothing else really makes sense. Let me explain. My family would go camping every chance we got. The place we'd always go had no natural predators, at least nothing bigger than a fox. My dad specifically chose the spot so us kids, me and my two siblings, could frolic through the woods without having to worry. This particular trip was during the May long weekend. There was still a considerable amount of snow, so my dad brought our ATVs and some sleds for us. It was the day after we had arrived, 
and my dad wanted to go on a little trip down the road we came up. I asked if I could come and he said sure. We both hopped on his quad and set out on our little trip. I forgot to mention earlier that we had deer around the area. Nothing crazy, but the odd one would wander through our campsite. You could tell they had no natural predators since they didn't run away when there was a human around. My siblings and I would always manage to get pretty close to one, before my parents yelled at us to stay away, that is. Anyway, my dad and I were a few miles from the campsite when we rounded a corner and came across one of the most gruesome sights I have ever seen in my life. On the side of the road were the pieces of a deer. At least, I think it was one. There was blood absolutely everywhere. Worse still, there was steam coming from the remains, which meant this was a recent kill. My dad is usually a pretty calm guy, but not much can rattle him. I could tell that this freaked him the hell out. He was in the process of turning us around when this, I don't know, screech came out from the forest. It was so loud, we both flinched. I remember searching the forest for the source, but my dad was in the process of hauling ass down the way we came. It could have been a trick of the light or because I was freaked out and maybe I was seeing things, but I could have sworn I saw something running alongside us, but only for a second or two. I know I sound absolutely crazy, but the thing looked like a large dog before it vanished into the trees. My dad raced back to camp and we were all packed up and headed to a different location by the end of the day. We never did go back to that campsite after this encounter. I did ask my dad about it a couple years ago. He just said it was because the new campsite was better than the old. Better trails and whatnot. I think he's full of crap. I think whatever we encountered that day scared the hell out of him. And I think that whatever I saw, he did too. But I, for one, am thankful we never went back. I'm not sure if I would be able to sleep at night after what I saw. It still haunts me to this day. In December of 2005, me and a few high school friends were back home from our respective universities. We were juniors at the time and started a tradition winter break of freshman year to visit random state parks or smaller towns and explore them, along with the occasional mischief that we would end up getting ourselves into. During these one-night trips, the three of us would all sleep in the back of my Tahoe on a large mattress pad. This kept us safe from the elements and set my paranoid mind at ease should we become subject to any foul play. We decided this year to go to the Davy Crockett National Forest area. This area has many places that are extremely royal and desolate, which was exciting because we had previously found some interesting things in abandoned structures on our previous excursions. I had used up the rest of my university printing credits to print detailed MapQuest pages for us to use for navigation while we were visiting. The drive was roughly two hours from our hometown, Conroe. We decided to start the trip off in Lufkin, just east of the National Forest, to eat dinner and get a few things from Walmart. 
After dinner, we decided to mess around and get into our shenanigans. A few hours later, we found ourselves in Crockett, Texas, about an hour west of Lufkin. We planned on staying in a campground about halfway between the two cities. We had a lot of flexibility when it came to time. We explored random roads and went in a few abandoned buildings before getting bored and wanting to go elsewhere. By this time, it was 12.30 a.m. At this point in the night, I needed an energy boost, so decided to stop at a gas station in Kenner, Texas, which was about 30 minutes east of Crockett. I go inside to buy a few snacks, energy drinks, and a few cans of Skull to give us some fuel for the rest of the night. With a nice buzz from the energy drink and Skull going, we decided to get a little more adventurous and venture down FM-357, south of Kenyard. We came across a few forest service roads that ventured off into royal residential roads and other county roads. I pull off on the side of the road to check MapQuest and match the cross streets where we were at and give it to my other two friends to assist with navigation. After getting back onto the road, I notice that it is 1.30 a.m. and we all joke about how we were miraculously still awake. I decided to head down the next service road we came across. This is where things start to get pretty weird and where parts of my memory are erased due to the sheer adrenaline I had at the time. After driving down a few more service roads and taking random turns, we get to a road that is much more narrow compared to the others. By this time, I get incredibly frustrated because it is almost 2.15 a.m. and I don't want to stumble into anyone's front yard in a royal area in the middle of the night. I decided to slowly proceed down the road when suddenly I noticed a faint light in the distance. Great, I thought. Just great. I'm about to spook some random poor soul awake. About 30 seconds later, I can tell these are headlights and they suddenly disappeared. I thought someone may have turned up ahead, but I was very wrong. About 10 to 15 seconds later, I see what appeared to be a brand new black Chevy Suburban. The second I put my high beams on, its lights turned on and three men dressed in full suits jump out and sprint down the road past my car. It was almost like they were lifeless. They didn't even look at my car. As they were running past me, the Suburban suddenly shifts into reverse and conducts the fastest reverse maneuver I have ever seen. At this point, I unholster my G26 and tell my friends to grab my AR. We were all scared shitless and I had zero clue what we were about to come up on as we drove forward. Mind you, these were the days where cell phone coverage was non-existent in many areas of this region of the state, so we had no way to call for help if something happened. As we reached the end of the road, we came upon FM-357, the same road we originated from. How was this possible, I thought. I felt like we were just venturing further and further away from the road, and we passed a U.S. Forest Service fire station again on the way out, like we had on the way in, too. I recently checked Google Maps for any U.S. Forest Service fire station off of FM-357 and cannot find any current or past hysterical data on it. The county tax assessor does not have any listings either. 
We get back on FM 357 and decided to book it to downtown Crockett as we did not feel comfortable with sleeping in a campsite after what had just happened. I have since made sure to never venture down unknown roads without referencing GPS or maps. I am still processing that short but unsettling event. Where did those men come from? Why were they in suits in the middle of the forest? Where did the black suburban go that vanished into the night? Me and my friends still occasionally talk about this incident, and no one can seem to come up with a found explanation. The thing that bothers me the most is I cannot find any evidence of this road we were on. Google Earth software doesn't even have a road or satellite imagery that lines up with what had happened. Nor does it have evidence of a fire station, or any structure for that matter. My friend Samantha and I were so excited to take a road trip together to go hiking somewhere further from home. We'd been talking about it since we graduated college a few years back and finally found the time. Well, she always made the time. It was mainly me that had trouble balancing work with anything else. Looking back now, I wish I had spent more of this trip focusing on Sam, the scenery, and being present in the moment. I wish I had been a better friend. Sam was the most excited for our trip. The week before we left, she was texting me about restaurants in the area, stuff to do. She made a Spotify playlist with both of our favorites so we could listen to seven hours worth of an eclectic mix of classic rock, pop, and black metal and was marking trailheads we might enjoy on her Google Maps app. I felt bad for putting the trip off for so long. We got to catch up, explore, try cool food. We had a great trip up until our final hike. We're both in decent shape, and since we had the supplies and plenty of daylight, we decided we were going to try a longer, unpaid trail that went around this beautiful lake. It was the last hike of our trip, and we decided to take a more difficult and less crowded trail. Initially, it was a wonderful hike. The water was such a surreal shade of blue, and the pine trees and rolling hills were breathtaking. The air was thinner than we were used to, but so refreshing nonetheless. As we hiked around one bend, I almost ran into Sam's back. I had fallen behind focusing on placing my feet in exactly the right location in the soft dirt so I didn't go sliding down 20 feet to the shore. Sam stood frozen, a deer in front of her blocking the trail. As I approached with my backpack jingling and breathing heavily, the deer stood for a moment more, tilting its head sideways at me before darting back into the pines. She looked back at me, her face tight. Did you see that? The deer? Yeah, it was pretty magical. She gave a little laugh as she started up again so we could both move on to the section of the trail that had sturdier footing. No, I mean... Something was wrong with that deer. It was way too comfortable around me, and I don't know if you could see or hear it, but it was drooling and making these weird noises. We continued on in silence after that as we focused on our footing and the scenery, stopping ever so slightly to take pictures. 
One time, when we were stopped, we heard rustling to our right, higher up on the hill. I got the bear spray out and held onto it. It seemed to be walking parallel to us, roughly matching our pace. It sounded big, too. Eventually, the hiking trail rose to meet the higher part of the hill, and I couldn't help but sigh in relief. I'd been so worried I'd roll on my ankle and tumble down the mountain, so it was good to have more room so I wasn't walking right on the edge. Back in college, I'd sprained my ankle badly, but couldn't afford to see a doctor. It healed a bit oddly, and since then my left ankle had been iffy. After a while... I needed to sit for a moment, walking uphill for an hour, in addition to the 6,500 foot elevation. I was struggling. Maybe I'm also a bit more out of shape than I had been willing to admit, too. Sam sat with me for a moment and then saw some wildflowers about 10 feet into the woods and left to go take a quick picture. With her gone, I felt a sudden chill. Something was watching me. Sam? I called out nervously as the rustling grew louder and I gripped my container of bear spray tightly. It stepped out of the woods and... hmm, it was just a deer. Or, more specifically, it was the deer. The same one that Sam and I had encountered. Now that she had pointed it out, I could see what she was saying. The deer had no issues approaching me. It was scrawny, walked slowly, and like it had a bit too much to drink, and it was definitely drooling. I jumped up and waved my arms at it while screaming, Go away! I knew it was sick, and the poor thing was confused and probably suffering, but it creeped me the hell out. It cocked its head and seemed to be studying me, looking me up and down. It approached me and made some sort of gasping sound. It was opening and closing its mouth in a way which deeply unsettled me for some reason. Sam! She came running toward me from the woods, and when I turned back, it had gone. Are you okay? What happened? The creepy deer was back. I know it sounds silly, but I think it's been following us. I told her how it had been behaving. Do do, do you think it's rabid? Poor baby, she said sympathetically. Possibly, or I wonder if it has CWD. Either way, we should probably let the park rangers know just in case. We had decided we'd stick together, and after a few miles, she ended up ahead of me again. She tends to inch forward to get pictures, whereas I tend to walk past sites, then have regrets and double back to take pictures. I had walked back a bit and was sitting down, angling my phone weirdly to try and fit the scene in front of me in the frame when I heard Sam's voice, but I couldn't make out what she was saying. Hey, I'll be right there, I said, my voice raised slightly, assuming she was talking to me. Then she screamed. Sam! I stood up and tried to walk as quickly and carefully as possible. Her screaming changed from fear to agony and it sounded like she was sobbing. 
I wasn't sure what happened, but I could tell she was scared and likely hurt. I suddenly realized I was still holding our only canister of bear spray. Against my better judgment, I started running as fast as I could, and for a while, I was making good time, but then my left foot landed on a patch of soft dirt at the edge of the trail. My ankle rolled, and I was falling. I don't remember hitting the ground, but I remember opening my eyes, flat on my back, about fifteen below where I had been standing. It was also dark outside. We'd started hiking at at least six or seven hours before sunset. I tried to stand, but it was a struggle. I was confused, disoriented. Trying to get up was taking all of my energy and focus. I had a deep feeling of dread I couldn't explain. As I started slowly moving upwards on my hands and knees, I tried to recall what had happened leading up to my fall. Sam sounded hurt. She was screaming. I had run after her, and then I fell. Shit. Sam. I called her name, my voice hoarse, but no response. My phone was surprisingly only minorly damaged, but I had no reception. Luckily, since it had been buckled to me, I still had our backpack. I dug through it. We had first aid kits, but I figured I could patch myself up later. I didn't want to stay down here any longer than I had to. I found my knife and my headlamp. After about 20 minutes, I had slowly and painfully ascended back towards where I had fallen from. My hands were raw and I could feel my right knee bleeding through my pants. I was trying to go slowly since I trusted my feet even less now, and dizziness was starting to creep in, but panic and fear drove me forward. Once I made it back to the trail, I had to sit for a moment. I heard rustling behind me and felt a sudden pang of fear. Something, or someone, had injured Sam, and here I was sitting alone, injured, with my back to the woods, in the dark. I tried calling her name in case it was her that I heard. No response. I stood up and started limping as quickly as possible towards the direction that I had last heard her scream. Luckily the ground had evened out because I could feel myself weaving unsteadily. I knew that something terrible may have happened to her but kept trying to keep that thought out of my mind. As my calls to her remained unanswered and it became harder to imagine a scenario in which she was okay, I felt my throat tighten and tears rolled down my cheeks. I kept looking for her. I knew she wouldn't just leave me here. I think part of me knew then that she was gone. She would have been searching for me if she was okay and even if she left to get help, I think they would have found me by then. Somehow, eventually I navigated my way to where I thought she had been lost. I was hoping maybe, if she was injured, she was okay and just out of it and confused like I was. My foot caught in the mud and I fell. Lights flashed behind my eyelids and I felt overcome with nausea. The light from my headlamp had greatly dimmed, as it was now coated in mud and grime. I heard movement behind me. As the smell hit me, I realized the mud was dirt mixed with blood. I could taste it, mixed with a gritty texture. 
Leaves covered me with what was likely blood stuck to my face, and I felt something soft and wet under my shoulder. The rustling behind me became discernible as footsteps. I felt around for my knife, my bear spray, but instead felt something hard. Sticky. I was certain I had just found out what happened to Sam and had a good guess at what was going to happen next to me. I felt no urge to get up as the footsteps got closer. I knew I couldn't outrun it. I closed my eyes trying to focus on something, anything else, not knowing if I wanted to see what was coming for me. The footsteps stopped and I could hear labored breathing coming from above me. I waited, and then as no blows came, I opened my eyes. It was Sam. She stood over me, breathing heavily from her mouth. She was covered in blood. Her shirt and pants were torn, but she was alive. I let out a relieved sob and then could no longer hold back the tears. Oh my God. I whispered as I slowly moved to sitting and then standing. I thought I had lost you. I pulled her close to me into a hug. She stood motionless, her arms at her side. She stuck to me where her shirt was still a bit wet. Dried blood covered the neck of her shirt and her midsection. Her hands and, unsettingly, her mouth were also smeared with blood. I could still hear her breathing heavily close to my ear. What happened? I asked as I released her. She stared at me, but didn't respond. I figured she was a bit traumatized. Frankly, I wasn't sure how she was up and standing at all after whatever had happened. She was a bit wobbly, but otherwise seemed to be able to walk. As we walked towards the car, she fell behind me, which made me nervous as I didn't want to let her out of my sight. She kept stopping staring over her shoulder while I tried to coax her forward. Eventually, after what felt like forever, we made it back. My ankle was killing me, but I had tried to move as fast as possible. Although the woods were eerily silent, I wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. When we got to her car, I was debating if we should drive ourselves to the hospital or call 911. I had this feeling of terror that I couldn't shake. I pictured us making it all the way here to the car and then something breaking the windows, attacking us. I decided we needed to leave now. Do you have your keys? Do you think you can drive? I asked. She had an old Jeep pickup and was very sensitive about other people driving her baby. Plus, I wasn't sure I could drive us with my ankle as it was. She said nothing. She cocked her head at me. I know, we look like we've been mauled by a bear. I caught myself and winced, feeling suddenly insensitive. She clearly had been attacked by something or someone. When she said nothing, displayed no emotion or reaction, I cautiously continued. But I have a bad feeling. I, I, I think we need to leave, like right now. I'd rather call for help when we're back on the main road or just drive straight to the hospital. She remained motionless, 
staring back into the woods, and I wonder if she lost her keys in whatever struggles she had been in. Luckily, I had her spare with me. I unlocked the doors and she continued to stand outside. I realized I would need to punish my ankle a bit more because she was far too out of it to drive. I slid in, but she remained motionless. Sam, get in, please. Something is out here still. Please. She was licking her lips, staring back at me again. In the darkness, her blue eyes almost looked black. I leant back out of the seat and opened her door for her and had to guide her in. I buckled her in after she made no move to do so for herself. As we drove and headlights of passing cars illuminated the interior, I kept checking on her out of the corner of my eye. She was breathing in and out of her mouth and staring at me. I noticed now, in the better light, that she was drooling. Hey, uh, uh, how are you doing? No response. But she began opening and closing her mouth and making a wet gasping sound as she breathed in and out. Her breath reeked and her teeth were tinged pink. I don't have much medical knowledge, but I was worried she had a punctured lung due to the strange sound she was making. Hold tight, we're about 20 minutes from the hospital. Despite my ankle, I drove as fast as I could. We made it in 10 As we pulled up, I helped guide her out of the car and walked behind her, steadying her. I noticed something. Her shirt was inside out. It hadn't been this morning. Likely because of how we looked, they found rooms for us immediately in the ER. I had a bad sprain and a concussion and would need a few stitches, but it felt so good just to be out of those woods. I asked the nurse that came to check on me about how Sam was doing. I mentioned to him I'm not sure if she was attacked by an animal or a person. I mentioned what I had noticed about her shirt and that we may have encountered a sick animal in case any of that helped. When he returned, he was clearly distressed. Sam was gone. She hadn't appeared to be outwardly injured, strangely, but they had wanted to assess her for internal trauma. However, the first moment they had left her alone, she had just walked out judging by the bloody footprints. It's been weeks and I haven't seen Sam since. Her mom hasn't either. She has been working with the police out here. They think Sam has a head wound and is just confused and will turn up in town eventually. But a few days ago, I heard on the news that a partial skeleton was found on the trail we were on. Likely the victim of an animal attack, they said. And due to the condition of the body, they were asking for leads so they could use dental records to help identify the victim. This might sound crazy, but I think it's her they found. I don't know how to explain it, but I don't think Sam ever left those woods that night. It's my fault, and I don't know what that thing was that I drove into town. If you live in southern Colorado, please be safe. I am so sorry.
Two years ago, I went to go visit family up in northern Minnesota around Labor Day weekend. I will not give the exact location, but will provide at least a general location where this happened. To keep this short, I'm hoping someone may have had a similar experience or may have a general idea what this thing or entity was walking around our tent. The general location was the Mary Brown Bridge in Monagaha, Minnesota. On that Labor Day weekend, my girlfriend and I were planning on spending time camping with her family. Both of us were very excited to get away from the everyday city life and anticipated a much-needed low-key weekend. We arrived at their location around noon on Saturday and were warmly greeted by everyone there. During the day and evening, we were enjoying ourselves with random fun activities and catching up on how everyone was doing. As dusk started to settle in, we all were near the campfire for a few hours until 11 p.m. Eventually, the family and ourselves called it a night and headed to bed. My girlfriend and I were offered to sleep in a bigger size six-person earlier that day from whom her relative, who I will call Mary. It was a kind gesture at the time as we only brought a two-person size tent. Having that additional space for our belongings and our air mattress was a nice added feature. Mary's tent was positioned not too far from the campfire and the rest of the family. The family did a wonderful job clearing and maintaining the area for their smaller RVs and additional tents. To the back of the tent, about 20 to 30 yards, is where the woods started with semi-thick bush and trees. Us three were laying down chatting, and eventually... They both fell asleep. For some reason, I couldn't sleep, so I was on my phone, passing time, hoping to eventually drift off to sleep. This is when I heard faint activity in the woods about 40 yards back. I dismissed right away as deer known in this area and continued to space off on my phone looking at random things. About 10 or 20 minutes later, I heard that thing getting closer to our tent. I could distinctly hear twigs snapping and moving between bushes getting closer to our tent and clearing. This started to get my attention as I could start physically feeling a faint shake in the ground as this thing or entity was wandering around. Moments later, that thing was about 10 yards away from our tent, walking and running back and forth. Each step this thing took, I could physically feel the vibration from the ground. This thing was big. The best way to describe this feeling is if you went to a live rock concert and felt the kick drum hit your body. At this point, I was a bit terrified as I was trying to follow the footsteps running and walking at the back and the side of the tent. This entity, or thing, got at least five yards near our tent and suddenly stopped near Mary's side of the tent. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up scared of what this thing was going to do next. I shit you not, a few seconds later, Mary shot up from a dead sleep. She gasped for air and was calling our names to wake us up. You could hear in her voice she was terrified. This entity hightailed off back into the woods. Both of us were very startled at this point. The woods were dead silent, and eventually I had enough courage to look out of the tent. We saw and heard nothing, and about 30 minutes later, ran to go get our shotgun. 
another anomaly during this whole thing while we were alert and awake. Mary mentioned during this time I was awake, she was having a dream. She mentioned these entities were tormenting her, saying they want her soul, or wanting to kill her, and to give it to them. My girlfriend dismissed the whole thing and said it was probably just a deer or whatever running around. After hearing my girlfriend say that, I never told anyone about the story. Until recently, as I started to think about it again, trying to figure out what the hell this thing or entity was, I decided we will not be camping back there again. At the time, I was a 20-year-old female, and I had just moved alone to a small town in upstate New York. I had grown up in another slightly larger town about 60 miles away, and just wanted a new start. I love camping, often go camping in the Adronachs, but at that time, I hadn't yet met friends to go camping with, so I wasn't going to go into the real woods alone. Down the road from me, I had been walking and found an area where the power lines cut through a wooded section. The power lines were perpendicular to the road. It was near a house, but far enough to the right of the house where I thought people wouldn't mind if I walked up the trail that the power lines made. Not sure about other countries, but the U.S., they keep power lines clear in case maintenance is necessary. So I wonder up there noticing how it's actually pretty deep woods and I can get far enough from the house that I saw on the road that they couldn't possibly think I'm trying to break in or anything. Bing? Idea. I could go camping up here. It's secluded enough to give the real woods experience, but close enough to the road that I wouldn't be in real danger of wildlife or anything. Okay. Sweet. So, I do. I set up camp in this little clearing that I accessed by climbing the hill, following the power lines, then turned left onto what seemed to be a deer trail. Deer are everywhere in New York. Then I came up this really nice flat grassy clearing. I built my fire off to the side, after making sure to clear the dead wood, etc. I'm feeling really smart and independent. It was creepy to sleep in the woods alone as I had always had at least one camping companion, but meh, whatever. Next day, I decide to wander further down the path to see where it leads. I walk for about half an hour and I can see some fields on the right, but they are in the distance and there is still a fence between the fields and the path. So again, I figure people can't be mad at me being here. Then I come across another path, heading to the right. I follow it. A couple of feet in, it curves slightly and there is an old man on the left of the path. Well, that's strange, but it's about 1 p.m., near noon anyway, broad daylight. Birds are chirping, so I feel no danger. I go up to the van, which had obviously been there a very long time. It was 70s style, made me think of the Scooby-Doo van and way overgrown with weeds. There are streaks of brownish red going down the side, from the bottom of the doors. 
I look in and see what appears to be an old bedding in the back, but it was all shredded. The curtains in the windows were shredded, and the clothing strewn about looked like it was from the 70s or early 80s. I still felt no danger signs. Snickering at the terrible fashions back in the day, I continue along the path for a short time until I finish rounding the slight bend. I stop dead in my tracks. Finally, finally, my reptile sense, or whatever you want to call it, wakes the hell up and starts screaming at me, full volume. Up ahead, there is a creepy-ass doll hanging from the trees, by its neck, with a rope, not just stuck in the trees. Just to the left of that, there is an old garage overgrown with weeds. To the right of it, though, there is this huge cage-like structure, easily big enough to hold a full-sized man. It seems to be made up of pipes and other long metal objects, just kind of welded together. Some were up and down, some were across, and the squares they made weren't big enough to fit my head through. Not that I tried. It had four sides and a ceiling. It had other creepy-ass dolls hanging from it. It also had reddish-brown stains running down the side, just like the van. Further behind it, there is a run-down house. Creeped out as all hell, I just turned, trail, and ran. I am not a runner. I am a chunky girl. I had smoked for six years at that point, and I do not run. But I ran that day. I don't even remember the run. I just remember coming upon my campsite, grabbing my tent in one swoop as I ran past. Luckily, I had put my things into the tent, ripping it out of the ground as I continued running. I left my cooler, my food behind. Never went back for it either. I dropped the tent stakes somewhere along the way, and I had to repair rips in my tent. I tore down the hill. I'm still surprised I didn't break my neck. Jumped in my car and sped home. I locked all my doors, then paced my house going, What the hell? What the hell? What the hell? For hours. It's been 11 years since that incident, and even typing it now makes my hand shake. I now live almost 1,400 miles away, but I still just made sure my doors were locked. Crazy thing is... It wasn't in deep woods. Maybe in the 70s it was, though. Who knows? As it stands now, though, there are people living within a short walk of this place. And no, I know you were going to ask. No, I didn't call the cops. I can't really articulate why. My best analysis, looking back, is that I didn't want that creep to find me. I should have. Yes, you are right. I am hoping that it was just an old crime scene, not some sick creep who still keeps people in cages in the woods. So, to the crazy man or woman who built a human-sized cage in the woods and thinks hanging dolls is good feng shui, I hope I never see you again. I went backpacking alone over the recent long weekend, which was 10 out of 10 beautiful. 
The second night, I camped at a beautiful high-elevation lake, which could also be assessed by a short one-mile trail, so there were a few other campers and several people who were just day-hiking or fishing. It was late afternoon, and I was sitting around my camp reading when a guy walked by carrying a fishing pole and a small cooler. I didn't think much of it, but five to ten minutes later, he doubled back and came and said hi. I said hi and went back to reading, and then without warning, he then sat down on a stump next to me. I was completely taken aback at this invasion of my space. He started asking me questions that were really just statements, but in a creepy, amused tone like, So, you're just reading? And then looked behind me and noticed my tent and said, Oh, you're staying the night here alone, huh? I didn't say anything in response to this in particular, but it's obvious that I am. It's hard to explain, but his vibe was just really... off. I was so uncomfortable that I couldn't even really form words or tell him I was trying to be alone to get him to leave. I was honestly paralyzed. His eyes were so dead and dark and just drilling into me. I just responded with, "Uh uh-huh, or yep or something and just tried to pretend I was still reading. Without warning, he pulls out and cracks a beer and lights a cigarette and just starts blowing it at me. At this point, I was so uncomfortable and just not responding. Soon, another hiker wandered by and he strikes up a conversation with him and I took the opportunity to grab my water filter and bladder and pretend to need to get water and to go to the bathroom. I went to the shore and filtered some water super slowly and saw him walk away to go sit with his new guy which made me super relieved, except that he kept looking in my direction. I walked back up the hill to use the restroom. I came back eventually and got inside my tent and for 20 minutes everything was fine. I had the rain fly pulled back and was watching the sunset and loosely organizing my things when he popped out from behind my tent and stood maybe one foot from my door looking down at me. He didn't say anything but just stared laughing, really creepily, fake-like. I asked, uh, what? And his response was, this is just really funny. I felt literally sick to my stomach and finally responded with something like uh I'm taking a nap now so have a good night he laughed again but luckily left later I saw him still wandering around the camp with no real purpose still looking in my direction often I had no service but I wrote down his last name at least what was written on his cooler and where he said he was from while talking to the other hiker in my notes app just in case and slept with my pocket knife close. I debated leaving camp that night but ended up staying and just leaving super early in the morning in case he came back. Normally while backpacking, I think the worst thing that could happen is I might run into a bear or sprain my ankle. Maybe this seems not that bad as you're reading it, but... This truly was the most unsettling experience I've ever had in the backcountry. I'm sure I'll be back out soon, but hopefully somewhere far away from that dude. My name is Allie. I'm an 18-year-old female, and this 
is my true experience. Here's a little background. I live in an 1880s farmhouse. I had issues with the home ever since I moved in. Bad dreams before the move-in date even. Even my sister had dreams about the living room of the home being filled with red light and angels trying to keep her away from it after nightfall. Sometimes the property can be quite beautiful. Other times it shines a darker kind of light. For now, I'll ignore a majority of the experiences and speak about the woman I came here to talk about. I just can't get her out of my head. I see her cruel eyes every time I close mine. I only pray that it'll stop. And soon, too. It started with a dream. I guess it was more of a nightmare. I was standing in the kitchen next to my mother and a woman asking about the house. The woman seemed to know the energy was... off. She seemed to be some sort of psychic medium. She started asking me questions about the home. Do you hear banging at night? Does it come in threes? Do you often feel watched from the woods? Do you sleep well at night? Do you wake up with scratches and bruises and have no explanation for how you receive them? The whole shebang. It was while she was asking me her questions when I started to feel the heaviness of the air. I felt as though I were being watched, so I turned to look into the library off the kitchen. The light for the library was off, but I could still see through the dark due to the dim glow of the hanging ceiling light in the kitchen, though I honestly wish I hadn't been able to. When I looked into the library, I saw a figure hanging from the ceiling upside down. She was standing with her arms out as though she was formulating and upside down cross with her body. She was mocking Jesus Christ. She dropped down from the ceiling and dragged her body across the floor before standing up in the doorway entrance from the library to the kitchen. She walked over to me and grabbed my shoulders, and without moving her mouth, she told me that she was never going to leave, that I couldn't send her away and she was always going to torture me. I began screaming at her to leave in Jesus' name. She only smiled. I pushed her out of the house, but she still smiled at me from the other side of the door. I woke up breathing heavily. The entire day I could feel this woman's presence around me. I was sure she was real. This was the first time I had seen her. I decided my room was the problem, and since I didn't want to see her again, I changed where I had been sleeping. I went to go sleep in the room off the garage on the couch. Everything was fine for a few nights, until it wasn't. I had been dreaming of an elderly man. He was standing at the entrance of the doorway to the room I was sleeping in. He simply told me to run and that she was coming. The look of fear on his face was one I'd never seen on anyone before. He was horrified. I asked him what he meant because the woman wasn't on my mind but all he did was point. I looked over to see the same woman from a few nights ago before running 
towards me, her black frizzy hair and solid black irises staring into my soul. As soon as she reached me, I felt a heavy weight on my chest, and I began to wake up and be in the real world, but I was unable to move my body. I tried to open my eyes, but I could only manage to open them for a second or two at a time, and every time I did, I saw the woman crawling around the couch. My eyes were closed for most of it, but I felt her get on top of me and my eyes opened one last time to see her on top of my body, ready to bite me before I passed out. I don't know if I was afraid or simply tired. Maybe both. When I woke up again soon after, I checked my phone to see it was around 5.47 a.m. It wasn't that early and there was some light from the outside windows. I sat up in bed trying to process what had just taken place. I decided to brush it off, but as hard as I tried, I couldn't shake her face from my mind. So I drew a picture of her. I'm not an artist by any means, but I needed it down on paper. This was the second time I saw her. I decided to stay in the room off the garage because it was clear that it wasn't the location. I didn't see her again for another few nights. Until I did. I was dreaming again. I sat up in bed because I felt her near me. It was a sickening feeling that I couldn't mistake for anything else in the world. I heard scratching from a nearby door. The entrance to a closet in the corner of the room where my mother kept large racks full of tablecloths and bags of unopened chips. I turned my attention towards the noise. The door to that room is a difficult door to open. I often have to throw my entire body weight into the door to open it, but at this point it opened on its own. As the door slowly opened to nothing more than a crack, I could see half of the woman's face. Her blank expressionless face stared at me from behind the door. I didn't move, nor did I make a sound. I was kept in place by my fear. She slowly exited the room and walked towards me. I jumped off the couch and backed away screaming at her. I told her she was not welcome and that she was to leave my house immediately. She never blinked. She only continued slowly moving closer to me, as if I hadn't been yelling at her at all. She only stopped to bend over and look me straight in the eyes, her face inches from mine. Then I woke up. I shot straight up and looked towards the door to the closet. It was still closed. This was the third and final time I saw her. Three, yet another mockery of God in the Holy Trinity. I've never seen her again since that day, but sometimes I still feel her around me. I may need your help with this. During 2019, I ran my own ride service. Think of Lyft or Uber. No, that's not a promotion. That's what I did. I did not work for either of those companies. I did this on my own independently as a means to get some extra money on the side. Now that I look back on it, it was totally more of a social experiment than anything. I had presented myself and my vehicle information to all of the local police departments as with the state police of my area, 
so they knew who I was if I seemed suspicious driving around late at night in the different areas. They were on board with it, and so was I, and I began this short stint of a positive public service. That's where this begins. Aside from the occasional troublesome passenger, nothing out of the norm really happened. You know the saying, they only come out at night. This is very much true. I began this experiment in the late summer of 2018, and by February 2019, I was definitely deciding on putting an end to it. I don't remember the specific day, but it was mid-February and after 2 a.m. It was very cold, if not at or below freezing. I was finishing up a route that typically consisted of those needing a ride home from a night at the bar. I didn't have many passengers that night, so I decided to wrap it up and head home. I was leaving a neighboring town that's only about two miles from my own sitting at a stoplight in an intersection when this sudden impulse to take an alternative way home came over me. A road that cut up over a hill through the woods and semi-circled back to the same highway had I not gone that direction in the first place. I was tired, yet I debated with myself as to whether or not I should. I didn't have long until the light would turn green, and finally I said, Screw it. I chose to take the road that went straight instead of the usual one to the left. Why not? I do like a good little adventure now and then. There is where I made my mistake, to a degree. I crossed the highway and went up the hill, and I hadn't driven very far until I was met by a pair of glowing, greenish, yellow eyes. First thought? A deer. Normally I stop. I was no more than 30 feet from it when panic began to set in. It wasn't a deer. Whatever it was, it was lying on its side, looking up the hill. It turned its head to look at me, and that's when I thought it to be a large dog instead of a deer. It was solid black in color, and then it proceeded to sit up on its haunches very much like how a person would. At that point, I truthfully believe it to be some species of ape or large monkey. Let's pause. Whatever this thing was, it was very difficult to determine its shape despite the fact that my high beams were shining directly on it. It wasn't that it was amorphous. It was to the fact that it was blacker than the black of night. When it set up on its haunches, it continued to alter its focus from looking up the hill to looking down towards my car, back and forth, like I caught it by surprise. It then stood up on its two feet. When I got the best view of it, it was approximately six feet tall, built and shaped in every way a human man is. Head, neck, shoulders, arms, hands, torso, legs, and feet. It had no distinguishing features other than it looked like a living silhouette or a person dressed in nothing but a solid one-piece black spandex bodysuit. I knew it couldn't be the latter, for what person would wear that in the freezing cold of mid-February? Eh, never mind. Don't answer that. There was no texture to its appearance. No hair, no horns, no fur. Just the blacker-than-night, silhouette-like shape with the two glowing greenish-yellow eyes. 
It made no sound whatsoever, but looked as if it was deciding on what it wanted to do since my sudden arrival to where it was. I saw this thing for a grand total of what I will guess to be between one and two minutes. It stood frozen in its stance before suddenly turning to the right, walking and stepping over a guardrail into the woods. My heart was racing. I was mortified. Despite this, I summoned the courage to drive to the very spot where it had been standing, one foot on the brake, the other on the gas. I rolled down my passenger side window to see if I could see it again, or hear it, or smell anything. Nothing. Not even the crack of a fallen branch or underbush. Needless to say, I didn't stay there very long. I punched up over the hill covering all about an additional 100 feet when I am met by a second set of reflective eyes, another expletive, I'm sure. I'm trapped. Either this thing had circled around to being in front of me again, or there's more than one. I know I'm not going to be the next one taken to my death, dragged off somewhere in the woods, never to be seen again, so I give the gas pedal another punch. I'll either hit or run this thing over, or die trying. I came to a sudden stop in my realization that the second pair of reflective eyes is actually a person. A man roughly my age wearing glasses, toting a large laundry bag and basket. Quickly, I roll my passenger window down again and give the man a rather fast-paced explanation of who I am, what I do, and why he should enter my vehicle. Sir, I don't mean to bother you. I offer rides for people who need them. The local police already know about me. This is not a trick or an attack. I'm not going to hurt you, but you are not safe right now. You need to get into my car immediately. Something to that effect, but spoken a lot faster than what you can probably read it. Without question, he nodded yes. I unlocked my doors, he loaded his laundry into the back seat, and we were off. After he was in my car, I proceeded to tell him what I had seen moments before. He lost the color in his face, but was on the complete level of understanding the situation. He went on to tell me that he had finished doing his laundry, though I don't know what laundromat closes that late, and that he was walking to his home that wasn't far from where we were. He asked me what I saw a second time, and after listening, he calmly offered that it could have been Bigfoot. I told him I don't know what it was or whatever it was. It was watching him, studying him. That's when it sank into both of us. Had I not listened to my impulse to take another way home, who knows what that thing may have done to him in the dark, wooded road. The rest of the ride was silent. I dropped him off at his house. He unloaded his laundry and thanked me. He offered me some money for the ride, but I declined it. I knew it wasn't right for me to take it, considering what had happened. We parted ways and I returned to my own home very much confused as to what I had witnessed. Since then, people have told me I seen a shadow man, a figure, a demon, a skinwalker, a slender man, a rake, a crawler, or quite possibly an alien. More times than not, I still get the possible idea that I could have seen a Sasquatch or juvenile Sasquatch. I don't know, but I will go on to include 
that if I personally believed it to be one, knowing full well what one is, with all of the descriptions that entail, I would state that I thought it was Bigfoot. I sometimes still take that road, even though that happened four years ago, almost daring myself if I will or won't see that creature again. And that concludes tonight's stories, my embers. I hope you are tucked in, warm, and soon off to slumberland. I'll read to you all soon. Good night.
Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.